I started driving Lyft to help me pay for things like recording costs and just to be able to sustain. And, you know, I can do it and still pursue my passion, my dream. I'm a person that wasn't born to work for somebody. And, yeah, that's what I like about Lyft because I'm my own boss. I, I don't got somebody like, oh, you got to do this, got to do that. With Lyft, I have a little journey, you know, literal and metaphorical with these folks. Whenever I need to pick me up, I'll drive. And then I'll go to the restaurant that evening and I'll get picked up again. Those are the voices of a few Lyft drivers. Their stories are being told and featured by a podcast show called Pick Me Up, sponsored by Lyft, the company, and made by Gimlet Media. These stories of Lyft drivers are told beautifully and are truly inspirational. However, since a few days ago, there has been a bigger Lyft story that has me and potentially another 60 million stock market investors in the U.S. wishing to be a Lyft driver. You ask why? Ride-sharing app Lyft filing for its long-awaited IPO today. It is expected to be one of the first tech unicorns in a packed class of 2019 public offerings, which could give the future stock a jump start. Let's get to Leslie Picker. Yeah, Lyft has just filed its S-1 documentation with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission to go public on NASDAQ Stock Exchange in 2019. Those riders that we just heard, assuming that they have completed at least 10,000 rides with Lyft, are going to get a bit of bump in their net worth. Because, as you will hear later in the show, those drivers are entitled to a nice going public bonus and have a chance to use that bonus to invest in Lyft's stocks before the rest of us get a chance to do so. As these Lyft drivers are considering to become investors in Lyft, you and I, on the other hand, won't be able to compete 10,000 drives on Lyft anytime soon, but we may still decide to become an investor in Lyft. The question is, should we? From Stuttgart.io, this is Renegade Investors, the show that rebels against the conventional wisdom of investing. We are Hoda and Arash, your hosts and the co-founders of Stockart. The conversation on this show is not investment advice. The hosts and their guests may or may not have invested in the companies we discuss. Don't make investment decisions solely based on what you hear on this show. Hello, podcast listeners. It's Hoda, co-founder and CEO of Stockcard. The IPO Palooza has officially started. Many companies are expected to fight for an IPO. Uber, Slack, Pinterest are just few of those big names that everybody is waiting for their S1 document to come out. Today, of course, it's all about Lyft, who has got a head start in the Palooza. But before we begin, let me give a shout out to one of our good listeners, Tiago Costa, who listened to the previous episode and was very kind to write a nice review about the episode on our private Facebook group. He said, This is a very good podcast on low-cost index fund investing. Well done. Well, Tiago, thank you very much for writing a review. And thanks to all of you listening to this podcast now. Please take a moment to give us some feedback and maybe a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this show. We are a startup and we take your feedback and reviews very seriously. Please subscribe, rate, and review our show today, just like how Tiago did last week. Thank you. With that, let's get to the show. Yeah, so if you, if you zoom out and think about how our cities have been designed in the United States, they've been designed for cars. 
when I think in reality, they should be designed for people. It's a, it's a simple idea, but it's really hard to accomplish now because car ownership has been ingrained yeah. into American society and American infrastructure. So the world that we imagine is one where you do not need to own a car. In fact, it is more affordable not to own a car. And I want to provide customers with the best transportation that is, uh, allows them to save money, uh, enjoy the experience more, uh, eliminates traffic, uh, eliminates pollution, um, and has our cities as a more enjoyable place to live rather than parking lots and traffic. Um, and so we're starting that. You know, we started as uh, lift where you can get a ride within three minutes. Uh, we added shared rides on top of that. We now have transit listed in our app. Uh, we've added bikes and scooters. And so we're creating a full alternative to car ownership. That was the voice of John Zimmer, president and co-founder of Lyft, who, according to the company's S1 document, along with his co-founder, Logan Green, Lyft's CEO, will hold a significant voting power over the future of the company, thanks to their Class B shares that give them 20 times voting power per share compared to one voting power per share that will be offered in the stock market to you and I. To say it in a plain English, you know how Mark Zuckerberg plays God at Facebook? Well, Lyft is going to have its own gods. I love how Kara Susha Records co-founder puts it in her latest conversation with the host of the Squawk Alley. Yeah, well, you know, it worked out with Google all right because they haven't run into the shoals, right? They haven't had a big thing like what's going on at Facebook or anything else because you can't do anything at Facebook because Mark controls everything, which may be good in the end. Um, but, you know, other, other companies didn't need this to run their companies well. I know their excuses for it and why they want to do it. And, of course, you'd want to have complete control. But the idea that these people, once they go public, they, they run the company like a public company and they can't keep it private. The thing about Silicon Valley that I keep saying is they want everything. They want all the benefit and none of the responsibility. And if they want to be, they can do this and maybe investors will agree to it. But I think it's ridiculous. Phew, we started this show with some fire. Honestly, I don't have any issue with superpowers in companies as long as they do a good job running the company. As a matter of fact, Founders owning a big part of the company is a good indicator of their long-term interest and commitment in the future of the company, but it's a risk too. If the founders don't do a good job, no one can really touch them. The board of directors have no power over the founders with such super voting power. It's the risk in the company's leadership that you should not forget. At my company's stock card, leadership quality and matters like that is just one of the first things we look at when we are evaluating a company. Anecdotally, our users on the stockcard.io click on and review the leadership quality section of individual stock cards more than any other information and section that is available to them on our website. Looks like a lot of investors rightfully so, care about the quality of leadership when they want to invest in a company. Well, back to Lyft, as we said, the company's super voting power of its co-founders is a leadership risk. But being a founder-led company, having a stable leadership, as long as they are on track, tends to be a very positive sign. Beyond the leadership quality, revenue, profitability, cash, debt, free cash flow situation, and of course, the way the company is planning to compete with its competitors are other key informations we would want to know before investing in Lyft. 
revenue was 343 million in 2016 and it grew to 2.2 billion in 2018 representing year over year growth of 209% from 2016 to 2017 and 103% from 2017 to 2018 one thing to mention is that you shouldn't confuse revenue with booking the money you give to your lift driver is not the company's revenue they call that booking the revenue is after they pay the drivers and take some other costs associated to delivering those drives and what's left is the company's revenue and that's about 27% of the total bookings of the company in 2018 revenue of course is growing rapidly but the speed has slowed down as we just talked about uh from 343 it grew by 209% and then from there it grew by 103% and got to 2.2 As the size of the revenue gets bigger, obviously the speed of growth gets uh, slower. Is that something that we should be concerned about? Well, one good news is that Lyft is only available in United States and selected cities in Canada, so geographical expansion is definitely an opportunity that could boost the company's revenue. Another good news is that the revenue per active rider, which means the average money each of us pay a uh, lift per quarter is growing. In March of 2016, uh, that revenue per rider was $15.88 per quarter, and by December of 2018, that number grew to 36 dollars and 4 cents per quarter. So not only more people are using Lyft, but also same people who are using Lyft are taking more trips with the company. And uh, that's a good trend if it continues and you know, we have no reason to believe that it won't be continuing. Um so Lyft can continue to grow uh by getting more users into its cars or its to its platform and also get more of the same users uh to take more trips with Lyft and that will boost the company's revenue. Also, it's not all about ride sharing. The company wants to be the best transportation offering for people out there and uh, they offer other things like scooters and bike sharing through acquiring companies that offer those kind of things. Overall, I think revenue growth is a good sign and it's there. <laughs> Now, let me tell you something shocking. <laughs> Lyft is not profitable. I mean, who needs profit these days, right? Here are some numbers to put things into context and help you understand. After you take all of the costs that took Lyft to run the operations of the company in 2018, it was left by almost 1 billion dollars in losses. That's a huge amount of loss. Maybe one good news related to profitability is that the contribution margin, which is basically money left after the company spends what it needs to be able to actually operate the rides, it's about 43%. And that contribution margin is actually nicely up. Uh in 2014 it was only 24% and um now it's about 43%. Another good news as it relates to profitability is that um the loss per ride is shrinking. Uh this was something I learned from uh, Rani Mala on Twitter. She is an editor at Recode and she did an interesting math which I really uh liked. Here's how it goes. 
Lyft lost about $1.40 per ride last quarter, but that's better than what they had in 2017 when they lost $1.82 per ride. For context though, Uber lost $1.13 per ride in 2017. Profitability doesn't look like it's there and it's worse than Uber. And while things are getting better, it doesn't look like the company cares about profitability. CBS This Morning host asked an interesting question about profitability from John Zimmer, one of the co-founders. Uh, let's hear what he had to say. If there's such a, mul- a trillion-dollar market yeah. for ride-sharing, why isn't Uber or Lyft profitable yet? The focus right now is on on growth. The, the opportunity here is that Americans spend $2 trillion every year on car ownership. Yeah. We spend more money on cars than we do on food. But we use our car only 4% of the time. And so we're going after that really large. In fact, you you want to eliminate. Yeah, you and your co-founder, Logan Green, you're actually pushing for the end of personal car ownership in major cities by by 2025? Uh, I believe it will make financial sense for someone to own a vehicle in major cities uh, by 2025. Because we the the household. Huh. Do you buy that argument? Basically, what he's saying is that they're not profitable because they're planning to do something much bigger. In other words, what they do right now is not their business. They're just using it to generate cash and market share and things like that in order to be able to create that that bigger vision, which is transportation as a service vision. We, you and I, not owning any car and we basically subscribe to their their network in the future and and some sort of an autonomous car show up in front of our door so we wouldn't need to have um, a car anymore because they have that vision and they need to spend a lot of money on that it's okay not to be profitable today i personally don't buy that argument i think the current business model should work but uh that's quite common these days to hear tech companies saying things like that Well, we'll get back to this point a little bit later in the show. In any case, going in, we knew the company won't be profitable. But the maybe the bigger question is that whether the company has the cash it needs to grow. As of December 31st, 2018, Lyft had $500 million in cash and a total of $3.7 billion in assets and uh, $1.5 billion in uh, liabilities. So what does all those numbers and mumbo jumbo mean? Um, well, the company spends three and a half billion to run its operations and it makes two billion dollar. That, as we said, leaves the company with one billion dollar in losses. So it needs to bring that money from somewhere. Uh, it has five hundred dollar, uh, five hundred million dollars in cash. So that's half of the loss. Uh, still, in order for the company to run its operations, it needs another five hundred million just for one year. So we need to get to the company's asset versus liabilities. If you take the total of three seven billion dollar assets and take the one and a half billion dollar of liability, the company is basically left with enough asset to run its uh, operations for about two two and a half years. So although it's not 
a big issue immediately, the company definitely needs to raise this cash through its IPO. Otherwise, that big vision that they're talking about, it's not going to get um, materialized. They need all the cash and they really can't wait any more longer without raising money either through the IPO or maybe they need to raise it. Otherwise, they need to go and raise it in private market. So this IPO is really, really uh, needed for the future of the company because they need the cash. Oh, no. All that to say, maybe the biggest question in everyone's mind is that whether Lyft can compete with the monster also known as Uber. What is beating Uber in your mind then? Do you have to be bigger than them or do you beat them in a different way? Um, it's not, we're not running to uh, beat someone else. We're like, the, the opportunity is way bigger than that. But you just told me we will. That's just, that's just a belief, uh, and, and maybe, uh, in my view, uh, a fact of, of something that will happen along the way. But, um, but that's not the goal. Hmm. The goal is to design cities around people, not cars. The goal is to improve people's lives with the world's best transportation. Competition is a helpful way to get consumers, uh, more value, uh, both the driver and passenger, mm -hmm. uh, but it is not the focus. That was again John Zimmer in an interview with Puppy Harlow from CNN. He doesn't think Lyft needs to beat Uber for them to be successful. The market opportunity of better transportation is big enough, in his point of view, that both companies can coexist. I sort of like how he thinks about this. I also agree that they don't need to beat Uber in order to be a successful company. Think AT&T and Verizon, Amazon and Walmart, Box and Dropbox. Those are just... Some examples of two companies that exist in the same market and the market opportunity is big enough for both of them to coexist. So I like that mindset of them not being too worried about the competition and focusing on their own company and their own growth. Having said that, in the U.S. ride-sharing market, Lyft is actually doing well in terms of market share. They Right now, they have 39% market share, which is up from... 22% in December 2016, obviously what they're doing is helping them to take market share away from Uber. Remember things like hashtag delete Uber campaign or things like that have helped them uh, to grow their share in the market. Also, the company has another trick up its sleeve, and that's their driver-centric strategy. Those voices we've heard at the beginning of the show were real drivers telling their real stories in a podcast show um, sponsored by Lyft, specifically for their drivers. Of course, their support of their drivers is beyond just the podcast show. Through their IPO, they are showing their driver-centric uh, culture and strategy. Usually, companies uh, reserve a small portion of their shares and offer them to their internal directors, family and friends and employees at the time of IPO, and that's called... Um, a direct share program. Lyft is extending that program to its drivers who have completed at least 10,000 drives with Lyft or they are a part of Lyft's driver advisory council. It also is planning to pay these drivers between $1,000 to $10,000 in a bonus so that they can afford to go ahead and become an investor in Lyft. Why are they so driver-centric? Does that help them to win market share in the future? 
Let's hear it from Professor uh, Sandarjan from NYU in his Bloomberg Technology interview on this topic. You know, if I have stock in Lyft and I don't have stock in Uber, I'm much more likely to put my hours into Lyft. And so this way of aligning, like, you know, provider incentives with platforms, that's one reason. Another reason is that it has the company being perceived as sharing the wealth. Um, a third important reason could be it simply makes good business sense in terms of costs. Um, if the drivers have stock options, then they're probably going to be willing to accept a lower per hour pay rate. All right, here's what we've learned so far. Lyft has a stable and visionary leadership that comes with the super boarding power risk. Revenue is growing and it's growing fast. Profitability is not anywhere in the horizon. And the company is raising cash through its IPO to move to a transportation as a service model and to broaden its market opportunity. And there is most likely enough opportunity in the broader market for Lyft to coexist with Uber and likes of Uber, not to be worried about the state of the competition. For me, there is one more key question left. Whether Lyft is more like Netflix or Blue Apron. Well, both Netflix and Blue Apron are unprofitable, but Netflix acquires users profitably meaning that the cost that it spends on getting one new user is lower than the total value that user creates for the company. But for Blue Apron, that's not the case. For Lyft, the answer is unclear. Basically, even though this one document has a lot of numbers in it, we don't really know what is the cost of acquiring one new users for Lyft because they take that cost and split it either between uh, marketing or they record it as a part of their revenue um, incentives. So it's very, very difficult to figure out whether Lyft has good what's called as unit economics. We don't know whether Lyft is acquiring news as profitably, but the fact that they're not showing it just has me believe that uh, they're, they don't have a good unit economics. And to me, that's a bigger concern compared to profitability and everything else that we've talked about so far. Mm-hmm. Knowing all those things, what would I do for my own personal portfolio? Well, based on what we've discussed so far, although I like a lot of things about the company, like most IPOs, to me, it's too early to invest. The stock probably goes public. People rush in and buy and the price goes up. But basically, this is what we can assume from the information we know. What I am worried about is the stuff that we don't know. Lyft might very well be able to transform the transportation industry, but I'm not rushing. What if the recession hits and Lyft needs more cash? What if Lyft keeps spending money, uh, which what they're planning to do, and can't make that vision of better transportation um to come to reality as based on what they planned. So they need to go and raise more and more cash. And if we have a state of economy that it's not good, they may not be able to raise enough cash anymore. Because that unit economics is not there and because their current business model is basically not working, 
I don't believe it's the right time to invest. Uh, we can wait if the company is going to transform the future of transportation. There would be enough opportunity to invest in Lyft once we have more confidence in their ability to be able to have enough cash to run their operations. So despite the growth, I rather wait to see at least a few quarters of data, more numbers around the cost of acquiring riders before jumping in. The other thing is that I would want to watch and see all those big funds such as Fidelity or a lot of other big funds that have a big share of Lyft currently in the market, will they continue to uh, own the share once the company goes public or they start selling their shares? Because if they start selling their shares, uh, we're going to see a lower price uh, for Lyft's stock. But wait, that was a really sad conclusion, sort of an an anti-climax for the first IPO that matters to a lot of people. Is there any way to invest in Lyft without taking that much risk? Well, the good news is that yes, look, you can still invest in Lyft indirectly by investing in investors and partners. Lyft has put together a very good ecosystem of partners. Take a company like Google who is an investor in Lyft, and most likely it is collaborating with Lyft on autonomous cars. Or take GM. Yeah, GM, General Motors, the good old GM that has 8% of the company. So uh, this is going to be a very deep uh, relationship. The level of integration uh, that needs to happen to bring together what we want to bring together of this autonomous on-demand network is going to require our two companies to work together really, really closely. So that's going to be a really special kind of partnership and something that we uh, will be putting a lot of resources behind, as will the Lyft team. Remember, I'm not saying GM is a better investment than Lyft. What I'm saying is that it could be a better investment I actually want to go and see GM's stock card on stockcard.io to see how the company is doing. You may want to do that too. Go to stockcard.io backslash GM and see what's up with the company. Other than those partners and investors, a whole array of companies have invested in Lyft. Icon Enterprise, ticker IEP, KKR and Co, ticker KKR, Alliance Bernstein, uh, Global High Income Fund, ticker AWF, GSV Capital Corp, ticker GSV, are all owning stakes in Lyft. I've also read online that China's Alibaba, BABA, and Tencent, ticker TCEHY, are also said to have shares in Lyft via their uh, investment arms. Those companies would eventually benefit from Lyft's growth, but if you invest in them, uh, you don't take that unprofitability risk that comes with uh, Lyft because Lyft is just a small portion of their business. So to conclude for me personally, there is no rush to jump in. If Lyft is a good company and if it is going to be able to achieve the goal of a better transportation for the world. It will be a great company for many, many years to come, and I will be able to invest in them with confidence. See you next time. Our website is stockcard.io. Stockcard is a cheat sheet for long-term stock market investors. Sign up and create a free account with one click.
All right, folks, that's it for this episode of Renegade Investors. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast. If you had fun listening to us, give us a review. We read all of your reviews and comments. You may even get featured in the future episodes. Another wild card is Amazon. Lyft is running its processing on IWS. According to a calculation by a guy called uh, Renan Denser on Twitter, 14 cents of each dollar Lyft generates go to Amazon. So as much as it feels like beating an old drum, but Amazon is going to be great and benefit from Lyft's revenue growth. So have that in mind when you're considering uh, investing in Lyft once it goes public. Looking at all those numbers, one might argue of all the companies we just talked about, including Lyft, Amazon might be the true monster here.